This edition of the HTXT AfriCast is sponsored by Crucial. Stop coping with slow startup speeds and downtime as applications load up. Upgrade your storage to a Gen 4 NVMe Crucial P5 Plus SSD. Its tiny M.2 form factor makes it the perfect way to upgrade your aging notebook or desktop without breaking the bank. The Crucial P5 Plus can also add much needed storage to your PlayStation 5. Visit takealot.com and search Crucial P5 Plus to learn more. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. I'm Clinton. Joining me today, the usual suspects, it's Brendan Lotz. Hello. And Robin Chetty. Howdy. How are you guys doing? It's been a, a very weird week. Um, I know it's a, a bit boring to talk about the weather, but it's been real strange in South Africa recently. It was hot and it was cold and now it's raining and thundering. It's been all over the place. Yeah, climate change definitely is real. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, it's so weird. You you don't know what to wear. And a lot of people, when we tell them these things, uh, South Africa is rather temperate. It's never that hot and it's never that cold compared to other parts of the world. So people just say we like to complain, which is fair. South Africans do like a good yeah. moan. We're right up there with the British. Yeah, not going to lie there. Um, Let's talk about something that uh, I just had before we start the podcast, coffee. Uh, Robin, you, you got to look at some new high-tech coffee machinery. Yeah, um, so anyone that is a fan of caffeine likely knows the Nespresso brand. And uh, they've launched some new machines in South Africa. Um, as it so happens, uh, recording on a Friday, 1st of October, that is International Coffee Day, which was pointed out to me uh, during Nespresso's local launch. And they have three new uh, machines within their Virtuo lineup uh, landing in South Africa. And yeah, these new machines also bring with them uh, new virtual capsules. So I guess the more iconic shape that people associate with Nespresso capsules uh, have changed. And now we have these cylindrical domes, uh, for lack of a better term. And there's actually quite a bit of technology that's kind of got into this. Um, We have, I think, discussed off-podcast around... um, how third parties have almost duplicated uh, the previous uh, uh, capsule design. Mm. So uh, Espresso took those companies to court. Uh, They lost that battle, unfortunately, and they had to come up with a new idea to kind of keep their capsules and their coffee-making technology uh, proprietary. So what they came up with are these capsules. Like I said, uh, they have a cylindrical shape, and uh, uh, depending on the size of... Coffee ideals, uh, the dome will be shorter or taller. Um, but that's not really where the technology comes into play. Uh, if you look at these uh, Virtuo um, capsules, they have almost, a, for lack of a better term, a barcode around them. And those barcodes are read by the machine, which determines that it is a legitimate Nespresso capsule, but also ensures that uh, the right serving size is uh, extruded uh, depending on what uh, what the actual capsule is. So there are five different cup sizes that uh, these Nespresso virtual machines will be yielding. There is a carafe pour-over style, so that's 550, 535 milliliters. So that's kind of, I guess, more of a sharing uh, designation. Uh, and then there's obviously... A coffee mug, which is around about 230 mils. The Grand Lungo, which is 150 mils. Double espresso, 80 mils. And then a single espresso, which is 40 mils. And those kind of details are shown on the side of the capsule boxes. Um, the regular ones come around about 10 a pack. But the carafe pour-over style come in at 7, uh, seven in a pack. Um, and the prices range from between 130 rand to around about 170 rand, depending on which pack you're going for and which kind of serving size uh, are you going for but that, back to the actual virtual machines themselves like i said there are three models um there is the virtual next which is i guess for lack of a better term is the entry level uh edition and that uh is retailing for 3499 rand 
Then there's the next premium, which is 3,999 Rand. And then the... Uh, Next deluxe, which is four thousand four hundred and forty nine rand, uh, four hundred four thousand four hundred and ninety nine rand. Sorry, a lot of prices to go through there. Um, so the kind of difference between all three is that uh, the materials uh, that are used and the kind of finishes. So as far as the mechanism goes and the technology, it's the same across the board. You're just getting different qualities of finish. Uh, and yeah, so, so these new machines are available in country. There was, I guess, a softer launch about a week ago. Uh, they sort of bring them into the Nespresso boutique stores. Um, there are some littered across the country. Uh, and now they're essentially open to the wider public and you're able to order them and try them out for yourself. I can't believe how expensive they are, though I'm not surprised because the whole reason... They've said a lot of words about why they redesigned the capsule, but I think we all know it was to protect their intellectual property and to prevent um quote unquote coffee pirates from making their own um i also want to mention before i forget there's a really great youtube video about an award-winning well it is made by an award-winning coffee barista he has such a great channel and i drink absolute swill cheapo coffee but i still watch his his um videos where he takes like three hours to make a speciality coffee using machines that cost uh, more than my car so it's a really great channel, and he did a, um, a breakdown of these machines, and he, he even read up on the patents that uh, the company put out about how these uh, capsules work. Are you um, referring to uh, James Hoffman? I, yeah, I think I, I didn't want to mention his name because I couldn't remember it. That's exactly who it is, a guy with uh, uh, like white hair. Hey? Yeah, yeah, I also enjoy yeah. his stuff. Yeah, yeah he's, he's so good. I, I'm going to link to that. Um, we'll have links to all the stories we discussed, but I'll link to that um, especially because I want people to check it out. Yeah, I mean, these things are pricey, uh, but then again, Nespresso stuff has always been pricey. And I mean, George Clooney's place in Lake Como is going to pay for itself. So, Sorry, I just, I just want to say that it's kind of hilarious that we've now reached this, the point in human evolution where we now have proprietary coffee capsules. Um, like, it's just astounding to me. Like, that the, to me, this whole thing just smacks of uh, Nespresso trying to stop third party people from making capsules. And you are the only. This is the only place where you can get capsules. I mean, it's just l- ludicrous to me, especially when there are cheaper options, often with better blends. Um, yeah, this just seems weird. This reminds me of like the the printing companies, like HP, trying to make sure that you couldn't use third party uh, uh, print cartridges. ink cartridges. Um, this is just that all over again with coffee. Man, I remember back in my day, you just used to pour water over some coffee capsules, but now you need specialized QR code reading. Oh, man, it's just ridiculous. Uh, Robin, before we go on to the next topic, I just want to ask, do these machines connect to the internet? Uh, there are Wi-Fi and Bluetooth models, but those ones haven't entered the country yet. So these are just, I guess, more stock standard. Because the barcode reading must be done locally then and must have a database of acceptable barcodes to use because the alternative would be like the printers they actually check it online they don't do that locally as far as i understand it i haven't bought any of those expensive printers because uh those companies can go jump um so i have to wonder if the offline i don't want to make an enemy of a big company with billions (laughs) of dollars i have to wonder if that offline nature of the drm basically can be easily defeated by the fact that the check is done locally. All most DRM checks are now done online because you can't control the server that's probably in another country and is encrypted, but you can definitely access something that's right in your kitchen. Um, I look forward we'll to the link. GitHub repository that uh, contains all of the hacks for this coffee machine. Yeah. <laughs> and then get hit by copyright strike and is taken. Yeah, I, I wish I had answers to those questions, but... Um, <laughs> It was a sh- so during the kind of local launch, there was a short Q and A uh, portion. Uh, I did ask about the barcode tech and whether that kind of stops uh, third parties from duplicating. Uh, I say that the Q and A section was short because only two questions were asked were answered. Um, oh wow! So I was I was a little frustrated by that because, as you know, we are a technology focused uh, blog and we are interested in technology behind it. So uh, we do have one of the, the virtual next, which is, I guess, the entry-level model. We have it in for review. So thanks to Nespresso South Africa 
for sorting that out for us. Uh, we'll probably have a review out in the next week or so, and hopefully then we can answer kind of all those questions as far as proprietary technology goes and what that means for third parties down the line. But yeah, um, interesting machines. It's just more a case now of kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of the technology behind it. Well, I would say we'd come over for some coffee, but uh, <laughs> even, even with all of us here being vaccinated, that's probably not a great idea. Uh, but we're going to move from coffee. We're going to talk about Hot Wheels. That's uh, quite a segue. I didn't know how to get <laughs> into We're just going to jump in. So I've been playing Deathloop, and something struck my brain while playing it. I was looking at some of the fake cars that the, the game designers have made, and I thought, this reminds me of Hot Wheels. There is... A bucky, what we call pickup trucks in South Africa. There's a six-wheeled bucky in the game that is used as an all-purpose utility vehicle. And you see it throughout the game in different colors. And some have canopies and some are hauling cargo. Um, some are crashed. Some are pristine. All of that. And there's a lot of them. It's like, I think I've seen this before. And basically, this looks a lot like a modified Dodge um, that was around in the 60s called the Diora. And the Diora isn't so much famous for being a modified real car. It's more famous for being a Hot Wheels toy. And that was um, released in 1968 as part of the Sweet 16. And the Sweet 16 are the first cars that uh, Mattel ever made for the Hot Wheels brand. And they are what made the brand so famous and why Hot Wheels are still around today. And that Diora toy is iconic. It's an iconic Hot Wheels look. And... I'll put a link to my story. And if you look at the toy and the real car, and then you look at the one in Deathloop, I mean, I'm not going to say they look identical, but it's very clear that it's been inspired by it. Um, the real car and the toy are both regular four-wheel cars. Um, a lot of the vehicles in Deathloop have six wheels, and that's just kind of the rule of cool. It just looks cool. And because I had Hot Wheels in my mind, I came across another car in Deathloop that is a little single-seater kind of off-road golf car type thing it's very cool and very strange and it reminded me of another hot wheels toy called the hypermite now a lot of people might be familiar with this little car because it was in a hot wheels game called uh hypervelocity x so a lot of people know this as maybe not a toy but a car that actually drove inside of this game and the comparisons between these two are much less apparent than the diora and the bucky i don't i don't have official names for the death loop cars i wasn't able to get that um but what I was able to get was official word from Arcane. So through the local PR, I was very thankful to them. They put me in contact with Sebastian Mitten, who I'm sure I butchered his name because it's a French name. I apologize. He's the co-creative director and art director at Arcane Lion, which made Deathloop. And he told us, vehicle design is always something our artists enjoy being part of. It was a great chance to immerse ourselves researching weird and wonderful car designs from the 60s, both real, ve real vehicles and concept models. So obviously he wasn't going to come out and say, yeah, that, that was modeled after a Hot Wheels toy or this was modeled after that. But because the Hot Wheels was such a big part of the late 60s toy culture, the early 70s toy culture, I, I think you can kind of make some logical jumps but i mean i i have pictures of everything i've mentioned in the story and readers can just check it out and decide for themselves and aside from those two cars i also just put a, um, a rather large gallery at the end of the story that just has screenshots from my playthrough of Deathloop. we can check out all these cars and like that um he said you can definitely see a 60s aesthetic but a non-specific one, because a lot, all of these are fictional vehicles. But if you look at them and you squint and you have some knowledge about other vehicles that exist aside from Hot Wheels, you can say, oh, this looks like X, this looks like Y. So everyone can check out that story. I had a lot of fun writing it. I took lots of screenshots inside of Deathloop. And you can decide for yourself, basically. And just before we move off this topic and we talk about the next one, I do want to mention that our proper written review of Deathloop will be out later today. I'll also link to that. Um, so yeah, Deathloop is a very interesting game in terms of art design. And I can see that the uh, the artists put a lot of thought into all of this. But man, I can't look at that car and not think, hey, they just took a toy and made it bigger. So uh, I was talking to you, Robin, about this. Um, that single-seater car doesn't look like a lot of bubble cars from that era, but do you think that was based on any one thing, or it's an amalgamation? Yeah, I think more an amalgamation. It, it looks almost like if Arcane Studios were doing designing a 60s-inspired 
moon rover or something like that. I'm gonna say that, yeah. It would fit inside of um so Prey had a paid expansion called Moon Crash, which was very similar to Deathloop, actually. You were stuck in a time loop, um, but you were on the moon. And if I saw this in that expansion, I would have thought, yeah, that fits. It's a really cool design. I'd I'd love to drive that in real life. <laughs> it looks like Yeah, Arcane Arcane definitely have like a very particular aesthetic that I think a lot of yeah. people enjoy. Yeah. So I, I mentioned that in my my review. Good segue, Robin. Um, but we're going to move on to our last bit of news. Brendan is going to talk about some uh, something involving the information regulator. What do you have to yeah. tell us? Yeah. So uh, I'm sure everybody recalls the Department of Justice and uh, Constitutional Development was breached in September. Um, they announced that they were uh, attacked. They had experienced a ransomware attack on the 6th of September. Um, and it turns out that that breach was a lot more serious than previously uh, previously thought. Um, the information regulator of South Africa put out a statement regarding the breach uh, at <clears throat> toward the end of September. I suppose we've just hit... Uh, October, so I can't say earlier this month, but uh, toward the end of September, they released a statement uh, providing more detail about what happened during that attack. Um, the regulator said that it was only made aware of the security compromise through uh, a media statement that the Department of Justice uh, issued on 9 September. Um, the Through the statement, or sorry, rather, through correspondence with the Department of Justice, uh, the information regulator was able to determine that there was an issue that was detected on the DOJ's cloud application environment on 5th September. Uh, the issue saw connectivity between app and database services lost, um, and further investigation found that the outage was caused by ransomware. Uh, but the issue that is at play here is that shortly before systems went down, a security incident analysis report found that at least 1,200 files were taken from the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development Systems. Um, the regulator said, according to the DOJ and CD, these f these files may have contained personal information such as addresses and bank account details. Uh, the data that may have been stolen in c contains names, addresses, identity numbers, and phone numbers of information officers. Names, residential addresses, identity numbers, phone numbers, qualifications, bank accounts, and salaries of employees. Names, addresses, and bank details of service providers to the DOJ. So this is quite a big breach, um, and it's rather concerning. Uh, they, especially given that this uh, the, the the information regulator makes use of the DOJ's IT systems, this is even more concerning. Um, the statement was also rather critical of the DOJ, um, uh, particularly as regards the fact that the DOJ didn't inform the regulator. The regulator found out through a media statement. Um, and yeah, the, the entire breach happened by way of a compromised domain administrator's account, um, which this it's a high level of access. And to me, that says that would have given the attacker the ability to both take files and then uh, push out a ransomware attack to the system. Um, the regulator said that it is in the process of establishing its own IT systems, um, as well as outline some of the protections it's using. Um, but yeah, uh, this is a bad one. This is a really, really bad one, especially with popular in effect and it hitting so close to uh, the information information regulator. Um, we're going to have to see what, what that body does about this breach, but it does not look good at this moment in time. Um, and I'm hoping that there is itself? a big fine. Sorry? Is the government going to find itself? Well, I mean, essentially that's what's going to have to happen here, right? I mean, it, depending on what the protections were, and excuse me, the, uh, the information regulator did outline some of the protections that are in place, uh, and they look sufficient um, however, what I'm curious to know is how that uh, domain administrator's account was compromised um, because if there was a lapse there or the security policy wasn't being upheld, uh, I mean, that that's that that's grounds for somebody getting fined, I'm sure. Um, yeah, they, the, the attack is still being investigated. Uh, we'll keep an eye out for developments in this regard. Uh, but this is a very big test of Poppy, uh, or Poppy, rather. Um, and we'll have to see how the government handles this because, like you say, Clinton, you rightly point out, it's the government suing or government finding the government now. 
Um, and it, yeah, I really hope to see follow through from the information regulator in this regard. Kind of set an example. I mean, I said that last week, I feel, <laughs> uh, when another yeah. breach was brought to light uh, from Debt In, a debt consulting company which had its systems breached. So, yeah, South Africa is very much becoming a target for cyber criminals. And if you are still of the opinion that, oh, we won't get hacked, um, then you're probably the next target. I'm sensing some deja vu. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure I said this is a great example to see whether my puppy has teeth. <laughs> Or rather, the information regulator has teeth. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> people, I agree with you, Robin. In, are in their backyard and just doing as they please, and the information regulator is like, uh, I don't know, let's see what happens. And that's that's the really scary thing here. Um, I mean, it, it seems like the attack uh, occurred on 5th of September. Um, uh, previously, we thought it was the 6th, but we now know it was the 5th. Uh, and then we only found out about it on the 9th through a statement made by uh, the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development. And seemingly so did the information regulator. Um, it doesn't seem like they had stalled the the um, the declaration to the information regulator but, uh, because there was a investigation that was ongoing. So yeah, it does not look good, especially for the company. Like what, what is scary to me as well, right? Is that the information regulators website currently resides on the department of justice's website. So yeah, I don't know. There's just so many balls have been dropped in this situation. Um, yeah. And I can, I can already think that like lawyers, if their clients get hit with a fine by the information regulator, they're going to, they're going to literally say, you guys did nothing. Yeah. When your own system was compromised, now you're going to find us. Not a chance. Precedent is a very funny thing. And yeah, none mm, of us are mm, lawyers. Mm. Um, but I mean, we can make educated guesses. And like Robin said, uh, precedent is such a big part of this. It's also, um, it's also a bit worrisome that because this is happening to a government that they might want to throw employees under the bus when it might have been a system, not a system, a, a department-wide problem. Um, I think, again, I'm not a lawyer, but I think what happens when a company or institution is in charge of something and they mess up with that particular subject, they usually look at, instead of finding a company, holding a person personally accountable. So oh, hopefully that person <laughs> has legal representation because, uh, you know, um, what's it called? You are innocent until proven guilty. I mean, but you see, the thing is, though, is that with Papia, the uh, information officer uh, is the person that is responsible for this at the end of the day. So, I mean, you, you could say that, yeah, it was Bob who had a poor password, but as the information officer, you're responsible at the end of the day. The buck stops with you. So, yeah, it's it's a bad situation for, for the IR here. Really, really bad. It's, it would be also kind of terrifying if this it happened so close to Poppy coming into effect, if there is some legal precedent set and it like almost immediately defangs the regulation. Yeah. That that could happen again. We're not lawyers, but uh, you know, it's in the realm of possibility. With sequential read speeds of up to 6,600 megabytes per second, the Crucial P5 Plus is the perfect fit for anybody working with large files, whether that's spreadsheets or video. With support for PCIe 4.0, the P5 Plus will ensure that every component in your computer is operating at its optimal capacity so that you can be as productive as possible. Upgrade your computer today. Visit takealot.com and search Crucial P5 Plus to learn more. Okay, so we are going to move on to the main topic this week because 2021 is now in its final quarter. It is October. We're getting increasingly close to 2022, but surprisingly, 2021 still has a lot of life to give in terms of things that are coming out. So we're going to have a quick discussion about some games, movies, shows, stuff like that. Content is the big word people use. <laughs> that is still coming. And we're going to start with Robin. What do you want to tell us about that's still on the way this year, Robin? Yeah, so I think one of the films that I have been eagerly awaiting the release of, and I think I've been quite vocal, uh, I'm sure everyone <laughs> in the team is tired of me talking about now, is uh, Dune. That's the Denis Villeneuve uh, interpretation of the Frank Herbert space opera classic, whatever you want to call it, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's set to release, if I remember correctly, 22nd October 
uh, on HBO Max and in cinemas. Um, so it's coming out later uh, this month in South Africa. And that is definitely one that I want to check out in IMAX. I'm sure a lot of other people that are fans of the series and just fans of Lini's work uh, in general are interested to see. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm also quite interested to see how he veers from the interpretation uh, that David Lynch did in the in the 80s. I know that fans of the books, kind of diehard fans, were really unimpressed with his interpretation. Um, I don't want to get too dragged down into the kind of minutiae of it, but his interpretation of, um, the, I guess, essentially the main protagonist, uh, Paul Atreides, uh, as a godlike figure, wasn't really what Frank Herbert was going for. And also... The actual subject matter, the book itself, is so deep and thick and nuanced that you need two or three films to kind of really extrapolate all the storylines because there is a lot going on. So uh, from what I understand, this is going to be the first of a trio of films that Villeneuve wants to make. He may not make it purely for the fact that uh, he's kind of butted heads as they have a lot of directors with... um, Warner Brothers over the re- simultaneous release of movies in on HBO Max and in cinemas is also being quite verbal in his uh, disgust for Marvel films. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he kind of essentially says that they have a, a cookie cutter and every Marvel film is the same. So yeah, he, he really does not like Marvel films at all. He do, in, in my opinion, he does make some fair points. I think outside of perhaps the larger Avengers films and more recently the TV series and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of the Marvel movies feel the same. Um, but I guess shifting back to Dune, I'm uh, really interested to see it and I'm sure all the, um, the Timothy Chalamet uh, fangirls will be interested in watching it. Uh, I'm not really interested in that element, uh, but I am interested to see what happens with... Uh, Jason Momoa's interpretation of Duncan Idaho, also a big Oscar Isaac fan and Rebecca Ferguson fan as well. So yeah, I really want to check it out, and that's definitely one of the movies that's on my on my uh, radar uh, over the coming months. Something I want to mention before I talk about uh, one of my picks, and it's going to be a Marvel movie, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, is the fact that if you actually go back and read Dune, it is like Robin said, it's a space opera. But some people say. Star Wars is a space opera, but a lot of that movie is action. And a lot of this Dune movie also looks like action. I'd say about 80% of the original Dune novel is people talking and political drama, which some people really like. That's their favorite part of it, but some people really dislike. And maybe the trailers have been cut to really focus on the action. And maybe they would never make a movie, which is 80% people talking, uh, sitting around and talking in space and talking about spice. But, I mean, we'll never know. I just wanted to point out that I, I've had a few people come to me after they read Dune, and they're like, lots of talking in that book, eh? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's Dune. Um, yeah. If you go back and you read a lot of the originals, like Neuromancer almost invented the subgenre of cyberpunk, and then you go back and read Neuromancer, and it's just a lot of people being sweaty and typing on a keyboard and you're like well yeah <laughs> um yeah i just wanted to mention that i still recommend those books because it's it's interesting to read the classics and it makes you it gives you a superiority complex you can say, oh i've read the original um but yeah dune's obviously a very good book um it wouldn't be so long lasting and famous if it wasn't um just keep in mind there's a lot of politics in there and uh, characters named duncan idaho um so the movie pick of mine uh is No Way Home, Spider-Man. And oh, yeah. that might be the most generic fanboy thing ever, but we've already seen that it is going to be bringing in a lot of elements and characters and actors from the Raimi Spider-Man movies. And I think of people of a certain age, for them, comic book movies started with the Raimi Spider-Man movies. And a lot of people say that the um, blueprint that Robin was talking about was created with those Raimi Spider-Man movies. So... To bring them back after all this time, it's like seeing an old friend, right? It's There's a reason that um, Doc Ock saying hello, Peter, in the last 0.5 seconds of a long trailer was the most talked about part of that trailer. Yeah. People love these characters. I love these characters. I grew up with them. Um, the original movie, it was 2001, right? Um, 
I was yeah, sick I so. in 2001. And I think I saw it the next year when it was on TV or something like that. But I saw those movies when I was very young and they really, you know, shaped me. It was my first time seeing something from comic books in a movie. Well, it was on TV, but it was still a movie. So I'm part of that group that really idolizes these movies. And a lot of people, I don't hold this opinion, but a lot of people think Spider-Man 2's the best comic book movie that's ever been made and it's perfection and it can't be top. But the fact that they're bringing it back is, it's so exciting. I can't not get excited over this. I know that modern Disney, and especially with the movie that just came out, um, uh, Free Guy, they Disney has kind of taken on this, I don't know what you'd call it, this format of jokes and content, which is just a reference. Um, I don't want to spoil what happens in Free Guy, but just having a reference to something else that your billion-dollar company owns is supposed to make the crowds cheer, and the crowds do cheer. So I'm of two minds. I, I mean, I just talked about, oh, you should go back and you should read the classic la da but then also, oh, I really love Spider-Man, and I can't wait for more Disney. Uh, I was going to use an expletive there. More Disney stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm in two minds about it, the duality of man and all that. I can't not be excited by it. Um, it feels like the entire Marvel slate is kind of in a lull right now. Uh, Endgame finished the Infinity Saga, which had been going on for 10 years, and I was right there in the theater in 2008 in high school watching Iron Man. So for it to come out and for me to be finished university when Endgame came out and to be an adult and in, you know, working, it's been a big part of my life. So I can't not, you know, go, oh, I can't just not consume new product. So I'm excited <laughs> about it. And the trailer did exactly what the trailer was supposed to do and has gotten me even more excited. That's coming out on 17th December. Um, I looked through my emails from the local movie PR and I don't see any definitive date for South Africa right now. That may change or I may have missed it, but it should be around the same time for South Africa. And I'm going to be there day one. And if I can be there a little early for press screening, I will be there. I'm really excited. Doctor Strange is in it. We might have the past Spider-Man. Um, what's his name? Andrew Garfield said he's not in it. And Toby Thank Maguire. Goodness. Sorry? Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, we don't know. Uh, he said that he's not, but he could just be lying. Yeah, he could <laughs> he be, but I don't like him as Spider-Man, so I'm hoping yeah. he's not in there. Yeah, but I, I just think it would make sense for him to be there. And yeah. there have been some leaks and images of him on set but then they might be fake and then there was also some leaks of um jamie fox's electro which was oh, from no. movies so, oh, no. yeah so he's gotten a costume redesign he actually looks much better um, okay but we don't know how much of that i i know, i think a lot of it is real <laughs> those leaks but maybe they were just concept art maybe disney has a whole department that makes fake stuff to confuse us and get us hyped we won't know until we sit down and also a lot of people might be setting themselves up for disappointment when they go see this movie and they think it's going to be another Spider-Verse, but this time it's live action and all the three Spider-Men are back. Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield, um, little Mr. What's his name? Tom, Tom Holland. Holland. <laughs> oh, I, I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> I just okay. want to see Toby Maguire dancing to jazz. Yes. Yes, Thank you. All, actually, all three of them. There's actually an image of that. I think I'll make it the header image if I can find it. Um, so I, I'm worried about people's expectations being dashed based on leaks. Um, it happened with WandaVision where everyone wanted the character Mephisto to appear and everyone was hinging their hopes on the show being good of this weird character called Mephisto appearing and he didn't and people got frustrated. <laughs> but that had nothing to do with the show. That was just people working themselves into yeah. a Again... It's coming out in December. It's not that far away. We might have another trailer and it's like, hey, Toby Maguire's here. Hey, uh, Mr. Garfield's here. And he's got a skateboard and his tall hair. We don't know. We'll have to wait. But, I mean, who's going to say no to a live-action Spider-Verse? But maybe that doesn't happen. So that's in December. Um, Brendan, what are you looking forward to? So I'm actually looking forward to something that's currently being released uh, every week. Um, and... To uh, your point, Clinton, about how some people don't enjoy watching people talk about politics and sci-fi, I've got just the show for you if that's exactly what you enjoy. It's called Foundation. 
Um, it's based on the foundation series of books written by Isaac Asimov. Um, and Apple TV has turned it into a series and it's actually rather good. Um, Yes, there is a lot of politics and a lot of talking, but it's really, really interesting talking. And then when there are moments of action and uh, intrigue, they are really, really well executed. So the show premiered last week on the 24th of September um, and is created by David S. Goyer and Josh Friedman. And as I mentioned, they've done a fantastic job uh, so far. There are currently three episodes out. The show will continue running until 19th November. So if you want to save yourself some money and not have to pay two months of Apple TV+, Plus, um, I recommend signing up on the 19th of November and you can watch all 10 episodes in one go. Um, the series follows the introduction of the foundation, which is the first book in the series. Um, and it's, it serves as a jumping off point to, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but I do need to spoil where the show starts off. Uh, essentially a, uh, a psycho historian named Harry Selden, uh, discovers that the earth is going to or well that the the galaxy is going to enter a dark age uh using mathematics and he predicts this and presents his prediction to the galactic empire which is three people uh, a clone of the original leader cleon um and he predicts this and he gets uh exiled to the edge of the universe a planet named terminus um and this is where we jump off, where Harry and his uh, team, or the Foundation as they call themselves, are, are venturing towards Terminus, and they will be tasked with preserving the knowledge of humanity um, so that when the Dark Age is over, humanity can start up again uh, with the knowledge that it has, and they are tasked with preserving and choosing what uh, humanity is, is, is kind of left with. Uh, in terms of our knowledge span. It's really, really great. But I do just want to highlight one role in particular that has caught my attention, and that is uh, actor Lee Pace, who's playing the role of Brother Day or Cleon Twelfth. So Cle Brother Day in the series is the ruling emperor. Uh, he has his younger brother, who is actually his youngest clone, uh, Brother Dawn, who is Cleon Thirteenth, And then he has his older brother, who is on his way out, Brother Dusk, and that's Cleon the 11th. Um, but the role of Lee Pace is, the role he plays is spectacular. His performance, it just, I, I wish I could just watch a show of him because he's just such a good actor and his portrayal of Cleon as this emperor who is facing the end of his empire um, for unknown reasons uh, and still trying to maintain order is just, it, it's phenomenal. He plays it so, so well. Uh, so as I mentioned, there are now three episodes. The third episode came out today, and there will be one episode released every Friday on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a big fan of Apple TV+. Plus. The, the user experience is incredibly clunky. Um, but if you are going to subscribe, then uh, I recommend watching Ted Lasso while you're at it, uh, because it more than makes up for the absolutely horrible user experience. Everyone uh, loves that show. I don't think so I've good. heard a single bad thing about Ted Lasso. It's so good. But anyway, so Foundation is what I'm talking about, though. So Foundation is definitely, I think everybody should watch it at some point. Hopefully, uh, Apple decides to spread its wings a bit more, license it to other places, because I think it is a, a really, really good show. And it could be uh, what House of Cards was for Netflix. It could be that show that really brings people in. Uh, and the cast is just fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, speaking absolutely of the great. cast, Brendan, I just want to talk quickly because mm. you talked about Lee Pace, but uh, Jared Harris is in there. Yeah. And he was in Chernobyl, and he was arguably the best part of that show. And Chernobyl is one of my favorite shorts um, for TV shows. Yeah. Um, so for you saying that he's in it and he's not even the best part has me very excited to check it out. I'll probably check it out once it's over. So like you said, I can get it all at once. Um, but man, I love Jared Harris. Yeah. Everyone should watch Chernobyl. It's so good. And he's, he's such a big he's, part of why that show's good. He's just as good in Foundation. Um, I do. I just wanted to highlight Lee Pace because I think he's he's maybe not as well known as Jared Harris and he does a really stellar job. I do also just want to mention one other actress who's uh, Lou Lobel. Uh, she plays Gail Dornick and she has such an interesting story. She's uh, 
part English, part Zimbabwean, and she has this South African voice because she attended school, or South African accents, what's a South African voice? South African accents, uh, because she attended school in South Africa and the UK. So it's really, really awesome when you first, because she's the narrator for the series, uh, when you first start watching, you hear this like South African voice and you're like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> the South African accent. It's it's just so nice. It's so 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 warming, um, and her performance is fantastic. Uh, what I also really love about the show is that because uh, the Foundation series spans thousands of years, quite literally, much like Dune does, um, and it takes a place across a variety of planets. Uh, they do such a good job of moving between timelines. So the first two episodes are very much in the current day. Uh, the third episode goes a bit further back in time and a bit more forward in time. But they do a really good job of keeping you engaged, even though you're doing this time hopping around. And it can, it, it, from the outlook or from the outside, it can look rather furious in terms of how quickly it's moving. Um, but they do such a good job. I, I really highly recommend watching Foundation. Um, maybe wait until the 19th of November if you're the type that enjoys binge-watching, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth a watch. I just want to mention um, Isaac Asimov's short story, The Last Question, which I think is the best piece of writing that humanity has ever done. Um, yeah, I don't, it's not a shameless plug because it's not mine. <laughs> Man, I really love that short story. Check it out. Um, we're going to circle back. Uh, for your second pick, Robert, what else do you want to suggest to the viewers uh, before the year ends? Yes, so this will probably be everyone's favorite anime series in the next six months, uh, and that is Chainsaw Man. Uh, anyone that kind of knows Japanese manga will know that this has been running from around about 2018 to last year. Uh, it's featured uh, as a series in uh, Weekly Shonen Jump, which obviously highlights the best manga that Japan has to offer. And yeah, it's been adapted into an anime. The studio that's handling it is MAPPA. Um, people that kind of know the anime studios will know that MAPPA handled the current last season of Attack on Titan. Um, that was a little divisive just in terms of the art style, especially what they did to my girl uh, Mikasa Ackerman. The, the, the style design was terrible and it really angle of the fans, but in general the, the first part of that last series uh, has been really good. Uh, they also handled uh, Dora Hidora on Netflix which I think was really kind of true to the style of the manga. And now the another recent kind of title that they're handling is um, Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, so, so that's probably a, a newer one that people should be familiar with if they're into the anime. And now Chainsaw Man is going to kind of be that next big series that it'll probably usurp uh, Attack on Titan once that's Ooh. wrapped up. Um, that's a big, that's a big uh, statement. If, if, I, if I was a betting man, I would definitely bet, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> so just kind of give the kind of broader strokes around the story. Uh, it follows a young man named Denji. And he works as a devil hunter uh, in order to pay off the debt that his father owns owes to the Yakuza. He is double-crossed and is murdered by the Yakuza. Um, but he is saved by his loyal dog, who's also a demon in his own right. And uh, he uses a weapon, a chainsaw, by Denji when he's fighting um, devils. And... In his kind of last dying breaths, he absorbs his uh, his uh, his pooch uh, Pochita, and is turned into the Chainsaw Man. And <laughs> if you guys will stick with me, uh, he's contracted by other devils to try and rid the world of a very uh, specific demon. And things go even more insane from there. So, as far as lunacy goes, this will probably be one of the more uh, intense anime that will be released in coming months. Um, the platforms that will be available in South Africa, that we don't know yet. So um, you could have to potentially go the VPN route. Uh, hopefully Crunchyroll will have access to it because um, that's, I guess, the, the primary anime service that's available in South Africa. Um, Funimation will probably have it as well, but getting your hands on content from there is a little bit more difficult. Um, but yeah, Chainsaw Man is definitely an anime that 
a lot of people will probably enjoy and will list as the must watch uh, in the coming months. So we're looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. Killing Demon seems to be a very uh, popular manga trope. Um, there's the one kill six billion demons. Um, there's also Berserk, which is also just about killing demons. Uh, seems to be a, I don't know if it's a trope, but it seems to be a, a common theme amongst very popular Japanese products. They, uh, they would, like it. I guess it makes and sense. Demon Slayer. Um, I can't believe it has that in the name. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, Demon Slayer is on Netflix. I saw recently oh, well, the, the South African version. So you can watch it. Also, you can watch the English dub if you're so inclined. But uh, yeah, I think Chainsaw Man will probably be the next one that people will uh, be watching over and over again. I'm not too sure, though, how many episodes are going to be involved in this uh, first season. Uh, there are 11 volumes, if I remember correctly, that uh, are part of the manga. So there's plenty of content for them to pull from. And the Mappa's recent history has been pretty solid. Um, so yeah, definitely looking forward to what they have to show for Chainsaw Man. Even Slay is indeed on South African Netflix. I've been meaning to watch that, and it's the weekend. And also there's <laughs> another show that came up, The Seven Deadly Sins, which just has a big demon on the front, so... Yeah, again, lots of demons. I also need to watch Parasite. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm going to circle back to myself and talk about the other um, piece of content that I'm looking forward to. And this is something that is probably the most niche, even though it's connected to the biggest um, property in the world. And that is Pokemon Live. Uh, Brendan and I was, uh, Brendan, I was telling you about this the other day. So Pokemon Live is a new online client for the Pokemon card game. Oh, yes. And the original Pokemon card game uh, client is called Pokemon Trading Card Game Online, PTCGO for short. That came out in 2012, and it was a Flash game that used to be in your browser only, and then they upgraded it. I'm not sure if its backend still runs on Flash. I'm not sure about that, but over the years they upgraded it and they moved it away from an online client onto a regular just PC program. Um, it's available on some mobile devices, but the coverage is very spotty. And I've been playing this for I mean coming on 10 years. Um, I don't always play the Pokemon card game. I kind of come into it, come out, um, you know, flip-flop like that. But recently I've been on a kick of playing it a lot. And during the pandemic, because you can't actually go and play cards um, against people, uh, the online client has become the de facto way to do this. And half because of its age and half because of, I, I'm not entirely sure, the the kind of, direction that the company who owns it wants to take it um ptcgo is actually not made by pokemon themselves it is directed by them and they have say but it's actually made by direwolf digital which is a third party and we're not sure if direwolf or pokemon we more than are certain it is pokemon they've not done certain things for it for example um there's no features like spectator mode or a ranked ladder there's not even the ability to buy cards for real money in the game. You just can't do that. Um, and there's a lot of other problems with it. A lot of other sites who focus on Pokemon have covered it. I did a short topic on it last year, which I'll link to. And it's just, as you can imagine, from a piece of software that is from 2012 and was originally a piece of Flash software, you can imagine there are a lot of limitations. And the game just kind of looks ugly. Uh, I don't want to be mean to the artist at Diewolf Digital. I don't mean the cards are ugly. The, the cards themselves are actually very high def and look great. But the rest of the client is just, it doesn't look good. It, it very much looks like a game that is dated by 10 years because that's exactly what it is. So there were some rumors that a replacement was coming out. And now, uh, recently, they have said it's coming out this year. Now, we don't have a date. They've just said this year. Um, people are theorizing it could be around November because in November, we're getting another main set of the Pokemon cards called uh, Fusion Strike in English. And the whole reason we knew about Pokemon Live ahead of time is because Fusion Strike actually had on the back, usually in cards, they say, you know, redeem a code to get PTCGO. And when the pack art came out, it said PTCG Live. And I'm like, what the hell is that? That's a new piece of software. And I bring it up now um, because Brendan and I were talking about it. It's taken a lot of cues from Hearthstone. Um, one of the biggest ones is that it's removed trading. Uh, you know, as bad as PTCGO is, it is, I think, the only online client for trading card games where you can actually trade cards. So it has taken the dusting formula, basically... 
when you have cards that you don't need, um, you can turn them into a, uh, a different currency. It's called Dust and Hearthstone. Um, I can't remember. I think it's called Gems or Energy in PTCG Live. And then you can craft new cards that you need. So it's this circular system of you using your own collection to get new cards and also your own money. That's a big thing. Um, instead of in PTCGO where you would need to get cards and then you can trade if you don't want to buy more. So I'm really looking forward to this. There's a lot of concerns about how exactly it's going to handle things. And they've already announced a lot of unpopular and, in my opinion, also just bad practices. For example, there are a lot of players like me, which have been playing for almost 10 years, and we have big collections, not just from being fat cats and buying a lot of product and adding them, just from playing the game a lot and you know being fans of the series. And something big that they're doing, two big things, is that in a Pokemon deck, you can never play more than four cards, uh, four copies of one card, sorry. Mm. And if you have more than four copies of any card, they are not going to be taken with you into the new client. So the first thing to know about that, yes, if you log in with the same account that you have in PTCGO, they will bring in your account. And that was something, uh, your collection, sorry, that was something people really worried about, that when they do replace PTCGO, because PTCGO will actually be taken offline, um, shortly before PTCG Live is made available. So we were worried that they were just going to say, sorry, everyone, start from zero. They, they're not that harsh, but if you have a big collection with more than the amount of playable cards, those will just disappear into the ether. And a lot of people have said, and I'm with this, they couldn't have given us like one credit for each extra card, just one. They couldn't have given us that little extra, you know, nest egg for the new client. Um, another thing is that people who have um, unopened items inside of PTCGO will have them transferred into a new currency in PTCG Live. We're not sure why they couldn't just have those packs be unopened packs in the new client. Um, just a quick explanation. If you buy a booster in Pokemon, the physical cards, there is something called a code card inside of there. So you get 10 cards to play the game in your life and you get a card that is just a piece of cardboard with a string of numbers and a QR code. And you can add that to the client and then you can open up a digital pack. So you basically, whenever you buy a physical booster in Pokemon, you get a digital one as well. And that is something that is really nice that will still be supported in PTCG Live. And I don't want to talk about it much longer because this is something that's, again, not many people care about it i care about it a lot obviously um and we'll have to see how it goes we're very worried that it might be pushing the you know grab your credit card format and there's a lot of stuff that has us worries there's multiple currencies there's a battle pass there's all the trappings of a modern tcg a collectible card game because now you know it's not a tcg uh, so yeah, Brendan, I showed it to you. Um, I, I can't remember what you said. What did you think from that short two-minute trailer that I showed you, if you can remember? So, I mean, it reminds me a lot of Hearthstone. Yeah, like, it, it's, definitely. It's, they borrowed so many cues from Blizzard in that respect. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, although I think most card games, collector card games, digital card games are going that way. Um, I know there's uh, recently some old Hearthstone stalwart uh, created storybook, which is uh, similar to Hearthstone in a lot of ways, uh, except it's only a auto chess battler type game. Um, and they took a lot of cues from Hearthstone in that regard. Um, I know uh, same thing for uh, a similar game with um, that. What's their, what's their name? Oh, I forget their name now. Riot Games uh, did something similar with their... Uh, iteration um yeah i mean everybody's going this way and i suppose it's the the model that makes money um 100%. Uh, I, I don't know whether that's a great idea for pokemon though especially with the way that it used to work like i always saw it as like one of the standouts in this sort of genre um yeah i don't know i don't, I don't know what to think i guess you're probably more inclined more yeah. versed in what's happening in that regard so I'll take cues from you and hear what you say about it. But yeah, I'm I'm not hopeful at this point in time. Big problem is that we just don't know what the economy of the game looks like. Um, it might be that 
with all these changes, you end up spending less money to stay competitive compared to how it is now. But mm. we just don't know that. And I have an inherent cynicism when it comes to this because if a company can make more money off you, that's always what they're going to do. Mm. And the difference here is that the Pokemon card game is very much still aimed at a younger audience. So our hope is that there will be, I don't know what the word is, merciful, because they know a lot of kids play this game and kids don't have a job and a steady income to buy cards endlessly. Um, so, it, yeah, we're, there's a lot of signs that this might be bad for the game, but there's a lot of signs that it might be good. It says out this year. Um, we don't know when. Like I said, it could be uh, November. So we'll just have to wait. It's one of those things where we have to wait and see. And we just have to hope that whatever economy is created in PTCG Live is fair or at least changes over time to become more fair because PTCGO, you know, as bad as it is and all its problems, it did change over time to become better. And if PTCG Live launches and it has problems, all we can really do is hope that it becomes better. So I have a, a link to my story on PTCG Live and I also have a link to the breakdown of PTCGO, the short breakdown I did where I point out some problems it has and why it needed a replacement that came like a year later. Uh, Brennan, what else do you want to recommend for the end of the year? Yeah, I think to wrap us up, uh, I will chat about something that's coming next week and that's Windows 11 officially launches Ooh. on 5th of October. Um, I am excited for this for only one reason, and that's for Windows 11 to be stable. Um, hopefully it's stable when it releases on the 11th. That's not to say it's un instable or unstable, which is the worst one. I'm, I, there are issues of instability as regards Windows 11 as I'm speaking to you right now. I'm running it as we speak. Um, and hopefully those get sorted out in the next, uh, in the next week or so ahead of the release. Um, so what does Windows 11 do differently? Not much is the short answer. Um, for one, the start menu has changed again. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it. The start menu now uh, doesn't have the live tiles that you may, may be familiar with from Windows 10. Instead, they are now pinned applications and recommended, which uh, quite honestly is the worst thing about this entire thing. I don't like the recommended. Um, I don't really like the new start menu layouts. But I mean, that's that's personal preference. Um, there have been some improvements to multitasking. Uh, snap layout is a really nice thing. So if you hover over your uh, minimize or full screen window, you can select different layouts for windows. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm going to make this quick because there's uh, thunder and lightning heading directly for me. Um, so yeah, chat with Microsoft Teams has been better integrated. The Microsoft Store has been improved upon. Um, and yeah, there's, as I mentioned, there's not really that much difference. Uh, there's better security as according to what Microsoft says, um, as well as better integration, uh, with things like, uh, Azure and my, uh, Microsoft 365 applications. So yeah, that's, uh, Windows 11 coming next week. Uh, if you want to try it out, uh, I recommend waiting for that official launch. However, that having been said, the only way you're probably going to be able to get Windows 11 at launch is if you're part of the Insider program or you go and upgrade to a new computer. Um, because you're going to need a new computer if you're running something that was released in 2015 or earlier. Um, I just want to ask you a particular problem I always have with Windows is the flippant search function. It's so bad on Windows. Is Windows 11, uh, sorry, on Windows 10, is 11 any better? Um, depends what you mean by better. If you know what you're looking for, yes. If you don't know what you're looking for, it's more of the same. Does it still suggest uh, apps and downloads and stuff when you're trying to search for a file? Well, yeah. So it will give you uh, the ability to search from the web. Um, it's, it's almost identical to Windows 10. Like there's, there's not much that has changed in that regard. When I say that not much has changed in Windows 10, I mean it. <laughs> I just don't understand what the point of it is. And I know we, we need to wrap up, but I, I just don't I just don't understand. Who is it for? What is it for? It is for uh, OEMs who need to sell new products. That who that is who Windows eleven is for. Yeah, From a user experience point of view, there's no real difference between this and Windows ten. Yeah, I can't remember if we discussed it on a previous podcast or just amongst ourselves on Slack, but 
if you go and look on the Windows 11 website where it, it tries to sell you on this new software, mm. a lot of the marketing points are buy a new PC. Yeah. Um, and a big push for Windows 11 was you don't need anything new. Windows 10 will just download and work on your old stuff. And now this seems to complete, this seems to be the complete opposite, which is very weird. Um, like you said, maybe those OEMs went to, to Windows and were like, hey, it's been a bad two years because of uh, COVID. We need to sell some new computers. Can you help us out with the new operating system? I don't know if that falls into the realm of libel. I'll protect myself by saying it's parody. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea if that's what really happened, but it kind of seems that way uh, because it's weird. Microsoft doesn't, they do benefit directly by OEM selling computers because all of them have Windows and then they make a profit that way. But it it seems like they are making less of a profit than these than their partners but maybe their partners are very vital to the business or again i'm not in those closed door meetings it just seems weird all the way around okay everybody those are some of our recommendations of exciting things that are coming out this year a lot of people didn't have a good time this year but the last quarter seems to be absolutely filled with uh products and content and i think a lot of these companies are like hey we need a we need a good holiday season to make up for some bad bad times during the COVID pandemic. So they probably want to go for your wallet. But that's going to wrap it up for this week from myself, from Brendan Lotz. Cheerio. From Robin Chetty. Take care, everyone. Bye. We will see you next week. The days of a bulky, slow hard drive handling your data storage needs are behind us. Engineered by Micron, the Crucial P5 Plus boasts incredible performance with storage capacity of up to 4 terabytes. The sleek drive is perfect for a notebook, gaming PC, or even a PlayStation 5, so long as you remember that's still in the beta testing phase. Stop coping with slow startup speeds, storage capacity warnings, and delicate platter drives. Search Crucial P5 Plus on takealot.com and upgrade today.